watching would be angry, like, I don't know why these horrible people can't get this straight, right, right? On, yeah. on what they want, right. you know? And we would be like, why can't supply chain get it right and pull the right things? Because we're still running out of the room. At we, were, we were in two lanes, just like you said earlier. <laughs> I'm Adam Polka. And I'm Bill Denby. Together, we'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. We believe that people are the change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. We hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your own organization. This is the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Let's jump in. Welcome to this episode of the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I have a special guest host with me today, Corey Turner. Hi, Corey. How are you? I'm doing great, Adam. How are you doing? So, so Corey, our goal with this podcast is to deep dive with supply chain experts in their respective fields. And one area we want to explore a bit deeper is the healthcare supply chain. And today, within that domain, I want to talk about point-of-use supply chain within the perioperative space. So, Corey, what makes the healthcare supply chain just a different animal? So, when you talk about healthcare supply chain, it makes it a different animal because it's it has the healthcare in front of that. You know, that's really the main crutch of this is, is we're not dealing with um, automotive parts or, or things of that nature. We're dealing with patients and patients' lives. So that kind of puts a different spin on things when you talk about supply chain. And along with that comes different nuances to the supplies that they use and the timeliness that they need it and the way it's tracked. And so there's just a lot of variables when you're talking about healthcare and supply chain, especially on the point of view side. And listen, Corey, uh, you're no slouch. You, you started uh, at the loading dock, uh, unloading trucks. You went on to head distribution at uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, IDN in South Carolina, uh, where you earned the title of Supply Chain of the Year. You've worked with Infor, Workday, Omnicell. You're also a 2021 Supply Chain Pro to Know. Uh, I know we're not here to talk about you, so I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I, I will say that those accolades definitely set the stage for a great interview with Betty Jo Rocchio. So it was an absolute pleasure to get to talk to Betty Jo Rocchio, who is the Senior Vice President and System Chief, Chief Nursing Officer at Mercy, which is one of the largest IDNs in the country. And we got to talk around uh, point of use and clinical efficiency. And that was huge coming from you know the Chief Nursing Officer of such a large organization like Mercy. But we really talked about the same focus areas being for clinical and supply chain. We're both going down that same path to patient care. We may look at it two different directions, but we have to converge those lanes into one. And that's what we were talking about in, in, in this interview is how can we get in the same lane? We're always working in silos and organizations. But when we when we merge those lanes together and we start talking about the same thing at the same time, we can move mountains when we're talking about cost and quality and, and uh, patient efficiency, clinical efficiency, workflow process efficiency. So we, you know, we touched on a lot of different things during this interview, but it was really compelling to hear her point of view as a chief, chief nurse, nursing officer, just how she looks at it from a science point of view, you know, how, how they're able to really take time and, and uh, clinical data and then marry that into supply chain and how we can work together as a 
as an organization, not just as a department within an organization. All right, great. Let's jump in then. So thanks for joining me today, Betty Joe. And before we dive into our conversation about point of view solutions, can you take just a few minutes and introduce yourself and then tell us about your background? Absolutely. Thank you for having me here today. It's my pleasure. Um, my name, obviously, is Betty Jo Rocchio, and I am the Senior Vice President and System Chief Nursing Officer in the Mercy Health System. Um, I've been with Mercy for eight years. Um, my clinical background um, is nurse anesthesia. So I'm a nurse anesthetist by background. I have worked um, in the past in Mercy in the perioperative space. I'm the vice, I was the vice president of um, the entire system in the perioperative space. Currently, since 2020, um, I moved into the chief nursing role. So since then, I've been leading the perioperative space um, with those leaders. Um, and so I'm directly connected with our point of use, strategy, vision, um, and how we're moving across Mercy. That's great. Well, again, we're very honored to have you here. Um, and bringing that that clinical point of view directly from the OR is, you know, it's going to be really intriguing. So I, I can't wait for the discussion. Um, so tell me a little bit about the process um, implementing a, a true point of view solution into a hospital system with the size of Mercy. Well, first of all, it's careful planning. Um, <laughs> so it's really not about the point of view system necessarily. It's about how does your digital strategy leverage what you need on the supply chain side as well as in the clinical space. Um, and so before you just start adding technology into an environment, especially a complicated environment like an OR, um, you need to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that's the first rule of thumb um, before you start approaching any technology, but especially in that acute care space um, in an OR. And so that strategy is what drove us to take a look at how do we integrate um, supply chain, the clinical team um, in a very fluid fashion so we can accomplish uh, what we hear in the industry today is clinically integrated supply chain. One of the things that I've tried to kind of get across to you know, people that I talk to in the industry is that how can we better bring that clinical side to the table sooner in the in the phases, in the in the processes, you know, especially in the OR. You know, I, I always enjoyed I was a little nervous, but I always enjoyed sitting down with clinicians because one, they're going to give you great feedback. Whether you like it or not is up to you. Whether you like to hear that is always there. So what do you think the importance of bringing clinicians and how soon into a process like this? What do you think the value and I guess just the importance of that is? I would bring them in before you even start planning out what yeah. you're going to be doing. Because you know this, Corey, nobody likes to be told at the end of the day, um, this is what we're looking at. And oh, yeah, here's your part in it. Right. Exactly. That doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you feel from your supply chain background, but our team on the clinical side, since we have the patient close to us, we always feel like what we need is most important. Yes. So it was a real game changer when we sat down with supply chain frontline and our OR frontline team and designed the system together. We just not done a project like that before. So we didn't take anything on in this project that didn't meet both of our needs. Um, if, it, if one of us had to suffer while one of us gained, regardless of what we were looking at, we went back to the drawing table and developed something that worked out better. That's a great point. And, I, and just a huge takeaway, I think, that 
what's right for supply chain is not always right for clinicians, or what's right for clinicians is not always right for supply chain, and, and, and anything. You can, you can tie that back into any part of healthcare. So bringing the right people early into these phases, whether it's IT, clinic, clinical especially, when it affects their, the way they take care of patients, it's just huge, and I, and I love that. Well, and so you bring up a really good point I didn't mention. IT is huge in this, right? Because yeah. when you look at it, it's a huge infrastructure change for IT. Um, and so having them at the table at the same time is key so they can figure out what they can do on their end to facilitate that flow that we're talking about between supply chain. If you bring them in at the end of it, you generally end up um, not getting what you need in a timely manner because they've got important processes they have to play in all this. It's right. not easy to connect um, disparate systems and try to make one continuous flow after the fact. We know that by working with Texas, it's, that's, that's probably some of the hardest work is how do you make the technology work into the workflow that you want to design? And it's, it takes all of us. Yeah, and I think the earlier we can tear down those silos and those, those roadblocks or whatever the, the cliche may be, breaking those down as soon as possible in a process like this is just, it's keys to success. So as we introduce a data-driven methodology, kind of what are some of the ways that you feel and, and, and you guys have used uh, in your own world, analytics and you know just key improvement measures, process improvement measures, how has that improved uh, nursing clinical efficiency? Well, so when you take a look at it, um, the OR generates large data sets. Here's the problem. We have data sets on the supply chain side and we have data sets on the perioperative side, right? One is about inventory, mm -hmm. usually, those data sets on the supply chain side. And the other data set on, on our clinical side is really around patient things. And so we've got supply chain working in an ERP system, right? We use yep. Lawson. Yep. And we've got um, the clinical side working in um, the EMR, which is Epic. Um, they are both documentation systems for different things, but there's no system of action in there. Um, and so when you start to do that, what you notice is having individual analytic data sets that we can't both see and work off of really drives the work, wrong workflow. And so where yeah, you're I going through different roads, yeah, you're going down two different paths. Yeah, you're in two lanes, right? Yeah. But here's the thing that I learned as I tried to clean up preference cards, right? That's the main goal is preference card accuracy for mm -hmm. both of us, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the common set, right, that says we either made it or we didn't, right, around preference card accuracy. But the even the definitions around preference card accuracy are different on the supply chain side because we're working in a different system. Yep. It was different on the clinical side because we were in Epic. So we didn't even talk the same language, but we were expecting a continuous workflow for the patient, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My realization of putting in the point of view system was that now we're working off of one data set, right? Because you're pulling to the case card in an OR, right? Out of Texas, mm -hmm. right? And we're consuming it from Texas and it's pushing it into the EMR. So we are both working in that system of action of point of use. We use Texas, right? But you're both, you're working on both sides. So the data set, becomes visible on both sides and we're looking at it in the same way. And that transforms how we work together, um, not only for the patient, but between ourselves to build the relationship, it, it kind of breaks down walls. Yeah, that's what we have to do. And, and when we're not working in that same system of action, 
we have to figure out how to get in the same lane, you know, because we don't talk the same language, but we need to be able to learn the vocabulary and speak that same language. Yes. And one of the things we did, we realized preference card accuracy was the common kind of analytic that drove us both. Right. We were both, we were both trying to clean it up. Supply chain wanted us to clean it up because they're pulling more things and returning more things. Right. And so supply chain would be angry. Like, I don't know why these clinical people can't get this straight right, right on, yeah. on what they want. Right. You know? And we would be like, why can't supply chain get it right and pull the right things? Cause we're still running out of the room. That we, were, we were in two lanes. Just, like <laughs> just kind of crossing at weird points, but not managing to the same goal. Right. We didn't want to end up in the same place, <laughs> right. but we weren't on the right path. Right. And so it's interesting when we can get in alignment, what we can accomplish. Um, And then to your point about analytics, you know, at the clinical front lines, we weren't, it wasn't a system of action that we're driving the analytics. It was more of a passive system, which was what was on the preference cards, which we knew weren't right in the first place, but we were accounting for those and expecting to drive results off of that. And so now with the clinicians, using scanning or point of use, we know exactly what we're using. We've cleaned up our data sets together and we're able to get the preference card right. And we saw preference card accuracy go from about 43% before the point of use, um, clear up to 78 to 82% preference card accuracy. That's amazing. amazing, The number of items you're returning. When you take a look at that accuracy, they were spending the majority of their time putting things away. Now they're spending the majority of their time working on inventory, par values, the things that matter in the supply chain. Yeah, that reallocation of resources for supply chain and clinical side, you know, because not having those accurate preference cards, it doesn't only just affect supply chain. Well, let me give you an example of that. For for us, that efficiency, that nurse efficiency is staying by the bedside for patient care. That's the number one priority. Yep, number one priority. But before we put in point of use, we were running at about 46% add-on supplies, meaning we were circulating and returning, right, 38 to 42%. We were also running out of the room 46% of the time to grab things that we needed. So it kind of looks crazy when you put it in terms of the analytics, doesn't it? Like, who would do this all day long? But after the point of use, right, we dropped it somewhere between 20 to 22% add-ons. You're never going to avoid an add-on because people are unpredictable in what you need. Right. as you're in an OR setting, but that's a lot of items to reduce that, you know, to reduce it by 18 to 22%, that nurse is by the bedside, which again is increased efficiency for her. I'm sure it has uh, effects on nurse retention, you know, things like that, that are, that are critical for a hospital organization such as yourself. I mean, you gotta, you, you know, it's like a mother hen. We have to take care of our, we have to take care of our own. So, you know, taking care of those clinicians and, and letting them do what they're trained to do. That's 100% right. Nobody goes to nursing school or goes into an OR to take care of patients to look for things to help take care of them. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not meant to do supplies. They're meant to take care of patients. Otherwise, we just open up a shopping center and let them grab everything they want right before the case. Just whatever, yep. <laughs> That's great. So when we talk of this whole, and you mentioned it earlier uh, about that clinically integrated supply chain and such like point of use, you know, hospitals have the opportunity to monitor their supply chain performance a lot more consistently. So when you have that one platform that that reaches all the way across, has there been a significant difference in Mercy's cost savings since putting in a solution? 
Not that that was the reason we put it in, but right. but there is. Mm-hmm. We can work with the physicians to reduce down what's on the preference card so it never makes it to the, the sterile field. And the other thing we do is take a look at analytics in the background. We can see very clearly what everybody's costs are, and it allows surgeons to work within the bounds of what's acceptable variation. And that's what reduces cost per case. Them working together, not me or our OR nurses telling them, no, that's too expensive. They make those decisions ahead of time before they get in the OR because they can see the analytics. You know, there's been, since we had our point of use in um, for a couple of years, and we're not even live in all of our ORs because we're taking our time to make sure we put it in correctly. Um, you know, there's been over a $10 million savings. That's a lot of money. That's huge. Because you're able to, again, it's the value of seeing the analytics and trusting it, right? It's not only that we used to see them before. The physicians didn't trust it. But now they understand that point of use process. They're like, yep, I can trust that because they see it every day. Right. And then, you know, also from your point of view, from the from the C-suite level, when you talk about savings like that and the reallocation of resources and back into patient time and patient, you know, quality, you know, how's the adoption been at the C-level uh, at Mercy? Well, first of all, in the beginning, it took a 25-page business case to get anybody to understand this. That's how complicated it is. So I feel for the people trying to sell point of use um, Mm -hmm. because it is a hard sell. It's expensive, but the return is there, but you have to be able to prove it um, and stick with it. You have to be committed to the strategy to be able to see it show up. But once it does show up, it's amazing um, what happens. Um, And so planning what that's going to look like before you get into it to make sure you're measuring yourself really all along the way, Corey, is key. And it's not about supply chain saving money. It's not about the clinical team saving money. It's about what we can accomplish together. Right. Kind of the perfect segue right into this last question that I have for you is if I'm a um, hospital supply chain leader, you know, we're having hard times with, you know, some of the things that we've talked about today with, with physician preference card optimization, with, you know, supplies, returns, whatever that is. What are some tips, I guess, that you could give from the clinical side to a supply chain leader saying, this is a good starting point. This is where we need to bring our healthcare organization together so we can adopt this together. So I I think the right starting point, and it's where we started, was a conversation around preference card and preference card accuracy. It's our common language right? Supplies are on there. You call it a pick list. We call it an an open and PRN column, right? But actually it's the same list of supplies. And so I think that is our our common goal. And I would highly suggest you develop a common definition around preference card accuracy, because that really pulls in the supply chain side in a very analytical format. And it pulls in that clinical side. Um, Taking a look at that same data set, it kind of pulls that data set into view so you can see that it's the same thing. We generally know it's the same thing, but we manage it so differently that we can't have two different targets, right? Um, and so we've got to we've got to agree on what that target is, and it's preference card accuracy in my mind. That's great. Like you said, that same lane. We got to merge together. We got to develop those same metrics that we're measuring ourselves by every piece and every part of the way. And until you do that. There's no sense of trying to have a common strategy. You know that relationships um, and having a common goal is what's going to drive this. So at the end of the day, it always comes down to relationships and having a common goal and defining that goal so you know when you hit it. 
A strength in numbers. We can do this together. That's right. <laughs> we can do it together. Well, Betty Jo, I, you know, I just thank you so much for your insights today. This has been very informative. Well, and I really want to thank you for your partnership and helping us do everything we've done in Mercy. Um, and so we have a great uh, relationship and partnership as well. I thank you for that. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for joining us. We hope that our guests have sparked some new ideas for you and inspire you to push the boundaries for your supply chain operation. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. And in the meantime, please reach out. We want to know your thoughts about our guests, the topics we covered, and any ideas you might have for future episodes. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Let us know if you'd be willing to join us and perhaps share your perspective as supply chain experts. And please share us with a colleague and leave us a review. We appreciate your feedback as we continue to evolve the show and line up new compelling interviews. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka with Texas. And I'm Bill Denby. And thank you for tuning in.